0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So you're probably wondering how we decide who's going to preach. You know, we do a rotation. Randy carries most of it, he carries most of the load. Thank the Lord. You can see he has a gift. He he preached the announcements. I've never done that. So you see, he definitely has a gift for preaching. And and uh, But you're probably wondering... You know, to be honest, Randy has a desire. He doesn't want Docs to be built on his personality or built on any single personality. He really values team ministry and and, and, and people serving in the areas God's called them to. So they would do it joyfully, and, and as together we push back into the darkness of this community and present the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we do have a rotation. Um, so I'll preach some. Justin preaches. Um, Justin Kramer preaches, and Jonathan preaches some. So... Sometimes they look and see, you know, you know what's going on in people's lives during the time. But when it came to this, our series of sex, singleness, and marriage, they said, well, who's got the best marriage out of the group? And so it was pretty obvious that, hey, Waddell would lead out on marriage. <laughs> um, but I, I see you laughing because it is a joke. That is not the truth at all. Um, but it is a great honor to be able to preach on marriage. Um, I tell you what, your marriage will get better if you have to preach on marriage because you start eating your own cooking. You know, you're like, all right, got to step this up. Uh, we did schedule our first marriage conference ever during this last couple of weeks. Is okay, put it on the books, we're going. Um, so, but it is a great uh, opportunity um, to be before you. And really, uh, our marriage didn't start out good. Um, we, we both were very immature in the faith. Um, we didn't really have an, a clue what we were doing. Um, it was just kind of progression for us. We had dated, started dating in college, and she was getting out of her residency, and I had started my job. And it was like, all right, it's, we got to make this thing official. We got to move forward with this. But we did feel like God was pulling us together. It wasn't just throwing, you know, thing, throwing stuff against the wall. I mean, we we did have a sense, but we were totally un- unprepared. As now that I look back to it, um, and so you know, it's just by the grace of God that we're we're happily married. And I would say we, we are happily married, right? You can agree with that, all right? Good. All right, I'm starting out good. So, uh, and so it, it really is, it's, and what I'm going to talk today about marriage, it's, I, I want to just let you know, it's only by the grace of God that, that we are in the relationship that we are in 10 years down the road. And um, so I know there's a lot of hurts when it comes to marriage uh, and divorce, and that's what we're going through. This is where our passage is going to take us this morning. So I want to open us up in a prayer, um, and, th- and then we'll get, we'll get rolling. Dear Heavenly Father the Lord, I, do, um, I come this morning, Lord, seeking your wisdom and your guidance and, and your, your love to be spoken this morning to, to those that are hurting, Lord. Lord, I pray this morning that you won't, won't allow Satan to, to torture people over forgiven sins, Lord, if they've, they've gone through the road of divorce in the past, Lord. Lord, I pray that this would be a moment uh, to, for healing in marriages, Lord, and Lord, I pray for as we went through the single series and they're looking to prepare for marriage, Lord. Lord, I pray you would come and you would teach and you would, you would, you would speak to hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray um, that you would give me a clarity in my presentation of your great truths. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the Bible talks about marriage a lot. It starts with a marriage, Adam and Eve, uh, right off the bat. And then it really ends with a marriage, a marriage supper of of the church and Christ. And so, throughout, in between that, the Bible speaks of marriage all across the map. It talks about getting married, being married, it talks about violating marriage, Uh, it talks about uh, ending marriage, but we'll talk about some today. But marriage itself is a part of God's intention for humanity from creation and forms the basis for the family. Which the primary unit, which is the primary unit of society. I'll read that again. Marriage is part of God's intention for humanity. From creation, and forms the basis for the family, which is the primary unit of society. It provides companionship. It should be committed. It's an exclusive relationship. Um, it's a lifelong partnership, and um, and it's, it, the context of marriage is is what is. God's designed to raise children. In our current culture, it's, it's currently trying to define their own definition of marriage. I mean, we see it everywhere. They're trying to say, okay, what is marriage? And they're, they're going and legislations trying to define marriage. Individuals are trying to define marriage of what they think a marriage is. So this morning, I felt like we needed to, before I kept going down this road, we needed to be on the same page. When I say marriage, what I'm considering uh, Scripture is calling marriage. So marriage is created and defined by God in the scriptures, as we'll see, as the sexual and covenantal union of a man and a woman in lifelong allegiance to each other alone as husband and wife. So that's our definition we're going to use as we march to these scriptures for marriage. But most of all, when we talk about marriage, Is what's the purpose of marriage? And I present to you just as the same as the purpose of man is to glorify God, the purpose of marriage is to glorify God as well. So let's start out with the foundation of marriage, and that's what Ketra read for us. So if you want to join me in uh, Genesis chapter 2, let's begin at the first book of the Bible, we'll take a look at a few of those verses together. Genesis 2, starting in verse 18. And this actually presents marriage before the fall, uh, so it's very important for us, it's it presents marriage before sin has corrupted the actual marriage union. And so in verse 18, we see God's provision. It says, "Then the Lord God said, "It is not good that man should be alone. I will take him a helper fit for him. I will make him a helper fit for him." And so a helper here really describes Adam's inadequacy. It's not about Eve's inferiority here. If we get down that wrong path too early, it's going to be difficult for us. But it's showing about Adam being inadequate, and God provides for him. It says it's a, a helper fit for him. So what Adam lacked, Eve supplied. And vice versa, this relationship, what Adam lacked, Eve supplied. And so what I would first, if you're a man in the room, I would ask you just to own that. Own that you need help. That if you're in a marriage, it's there for a reason. Your wife is there to help you. That you need a helpmate. Not just that I can do it all on my own. I was thinking about uh, God pairing us together uh, and some of my weaknesses. Um, one of them is really weird. Uh, when the kids get hurt, I get angry. It just makes no sense. And I saw it. My mom. I think I've said that before in here. And I and I saw it. My mom's telling stories about her grandfather. Like we get angry when our our children get hurt, and our children want compassion at that time. And I'm not mad at them. I'm mad at the situation. I'm like, what? I should have told you not to jump off that table. I probably should have said that for sure. But you know, things like that. I, I get angry at the situation, but they really need compassion. And and Ketcher's a great balance for that. But when it comes to church, I was thinking this morning, teacher is. And this goes to it. I mean, she is my helpmate. When I come to preach a message, you know, everything's, I'm running everything by her first. You know, what's this make sense? What like that? So we were thinking, okay, we've got to give a good example where I'm lacking. And and so I, that was kind of hard, you know, but uh, (laughs) I thought back a little bit. And I said, you know, really when we first got married and I first started getting involved in the church, I had a, a fear, a fear, a fear of reading scripture in public. I mean, like, super fear. And it really goes back to, it's a sad story. Um, when I was young, I had a King James Version Bible, and I, could, I struggled reading, and I was in a Sunday school class when I was little. Mom drove me to church, and they asked me to read, and I, could, I was messing up everything. And all the kids laughed. So after that, I was like, shut it down. I'm not reading in public anymore. And so when we first got married, they asked me to teach a Sunday school class, and I'm like, you got to read all the Scripture. So she was all right, like, it came to it. I didn't read anything. I said, teacher, will you read verses 12 through 15 for us? And we just rolled in that. And finally, I, I kind of got over it after years of teaching. I'm like, okay, I've got to learn to read scripture on my own. Um, so, but seriously, I mean, if you are in marriage, that is what God has brought you. He's brought you a helpmate on it. Um, and it's a glorious thing. In verses 19 through uh, 20, we see God being prepared. Um, to realize that that's what he needs. He does need a help. me. you see the animals come through. He's naming them. God's using that time to prepare Adam in his own heart, realizing, wait a minute, there's something, there's something missing here. There's something I need. And so in verse 24, go back if I can find it. I missed my spot. In verse 24, i want to highlight that verse there. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So, just kind of a key statement. um, I shared it with a guy that's preparing to be in marriage. I thought it was really powerful. It says, at marriage, a man's priorities change. Obligation to his wife takes precedence. And this this, this, uh, phrase, to hold fast to his wife, is language of a covenant commitment. And we are never more like our covenant God when we actually enter in covenant marriage with our spouse. And when he's talking about one flesh, I thought Randy had a great illustration last week in the singleness um, service when he was talking about before your marriage, you're not a half. It's not a half plus a half equals a whole. When God's, uh, when he does mathematics, it's pretty awesome. It's not a half plus a half equals a whole. It's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals one. And so we see this new union together as we come together as one flesh. But well, we already kind of talked about a little bit. What we're talking about this marriage we see in Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter two. But what what follows Genesis chapter two? Genesis chapter three. That's a good one. So exactly Genesis chapter three, where we see the fall come in. So we see um, Adam and Eve disobeying God's law. And actually, sins enters into creation, and everything is broken. We go back to that often in Doxa because we live in a broken world, and it really stems there. Everything is broken. And so that includes Adam and Eve's marriage. So actually, in Genesis chapter 3, God actually goes to them and says, okay, here's the curses. Here's some of the consequences that are going to be from now until Christ returns because of this fall. And in verse 16, specifically, he says that to the wife, to Eve, he says, I will surely multiply your pain in birthing, um, birthing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So just a specific, some implications of this, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you, is that the implications of the fall is inherited by all mankind. So it's not just the Eve, it's all relationships are broken. So that means our own marriages are broken. Um, so yes, the marriage ordinance continues, but now the marriage is frustrated with this battle between the sexes. This battle between what God had, had set in order and his, his divine order of, of husband and wife and, and this mutual uh, union together where of leading out as a man and submission and support as a wife now is fractured. So now we see in culture all this, we've got things mixed up, we've got men not wanting to lead, they're wanting to be passive, and women not wanting to submit to their husband to actually lead out, which leads to, uh, really, it messes up the harmony and intimacy of marriage relationships. And that's the truth that we live in. Um, but, we, but this morning, stick with me, it's, it, we have something before the fall. You know, we have a solution in Christ. So it's not to say that all our marriages are just always going to be having issues. But it's just the fact that they are going to have issues, and we're going to have to work through it in Christ. So we've laid the foundation of marriage. And we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so we, we were running through 1 Corinthians, had a good pace. We stopped for Advent. Now, it's, for me, we've been in a sex, singleness, marriage kind of series, and it's kind of, it's kind of hard to get back the motors running, thinking about 1 Corinthians over self as, as a book, as a total book in the context of the book. Um, and so what, we, what we'll do today in 1 Corinthians is talk about some specific marital situations in, in chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. But before we get there, um, I want to remind us what, what's going on in this letter. So Paul had planted a church in Corinthians, in Corinth, um, on a second missionary journey. And he spent a lot of time there, about a year and a half. It flourished, and we can read about it in Acts chapter 18. Um, things were going good. Uh, but actually, what, what we have, this letter back to the Corinthians here, Paul's writing, is actually in a response to a letter he received. So in Paul's absence, some things just broke out. I mean, the church went downhill quickly in his absence. There were serious problems. There was, there was division in the church. There was abuse of the sacraments of, of the Lord's Supper and baptism. Um, there was disorder during, during worship. Uh, there was theological problems at its root. And... Um, and what we've kind of walked through a lot in the last couple of Sundays, there was really gross immorality when it came to sexual relationships. Um, so as Paul responds that we're reading this, we've got to think in that mindset that he's responding to direct questions from this church in Corinth. And that's what we're really going to get into today. Like starting in, verse, in chapter 7, I mean, Paul is like basically said, you asked me about this, this is a response, this is how you should act. Um, and so this is what, what we're going to walk through now as a, as a church. So if you want to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll start in verse 10. And Paul is going to start out um, talking to a married couple, a Christian couple. Both are believers in this marriage. It says, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So the, the overall, just a, some, some statements before we get into the nitty-gritty. The Bible always presents marriage with a permanent view, meaning that God intends for the marriage that he puts together to that, that same person to be lifelong, to be a lifelong relationship. See, marriage is, is not a contract. It's a covenant. So a contract is full of all of the escape clauses. Like if that if the other party doesn't do exactly or do what I want or provides this, I have this opportunity to get out of the contract. But a covenant is much deeper than that. Um, it's made me start thinking about our wedding vows and wedding vows themselves. You know, wedding vows is, is not contract language. It's, it's, it's covenant language. And so some of you might be like me and... and and I, don't, I was like, I don't remember my wedding vows. You know, I don't remember what we said up there. I know what, I've heard wedding vows and different, what, preachers do different things, but I'm like, I don't really know what we said. And then I think about, even on the day of our marriage I remember I was so nervous we got to the back of the church, I was like, "What just happened? Like, it is over. We're done. We're married. You're like, I, it was, So what we did last night was, uh, like I said, you know, preaching on marriage makes you, you work on your marriage a little bit. We watched our wedding uh, video. And I went back to see um, what we actually said, the exchange of vows that we had on that day. Um, and so basically, it was very standard. You know, I take you, Kitra, to be my wedded wife, so flip the role as husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness or in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. So we think about those words there and what we're saying in our vows. But some people today, they make prenuptial agreements. Um, and we kind of look back at that and say, man, that's crazy, you're going to jump in that and make a prenuptial agreement? Some of us might think, yeah, that, I really need to do that. Uh, but often we do the same thing, even actually having a written document. We also do the same thing internally. Like before we enter this, we, we, we say to ourselves, yes, I'm going to stay in this marriage as long as you make enough money. As long as you keep me living at this status that I'm used to living at. Or it might be that that you'll stay attractive. It might be if, 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 if you don't get sick. And it might be just if you make me happy. If you continue to make me happy, yes, I'm going to stick this out. And it might be if you can give me children. But a covenant relationship is grounded in a promise, this promise of our vows to each other, And it's confirmed by a sign. So in this, the marriage, like I said, it's grounded in the wedding vows and confirmed at the exchanging of wedding rings. So I'd ask you as a couple today as you enter into marriage and you're in marriage to really resolve to stick it out to the end. To resolve, to not even entertain the possibility of divorce. Don't even consider it. Heard a pastor preaching on this one time and he talked about studying war and, and, and generals and different things and he said, there's a statement when it comes to war it says that in, if a general or a general who considers surrendering has already lost the war it's just a matter of time. So if you start considering divorce you're on a, such a bad path it's just a matter of time. And I'm going to get to an application of that. I'm just going to throw it out now because I feel the heaviness of the room. If, if that is the Path you started down, seek biblical counseling as soon as possible. Truly take the time to say, well, Look, we really need, we can't, we can't consider this any longer, we can't go down this road. Let's sit down with, with, with somebody who can walk through us in the Bible. And I'd say another note there's a lot of Christian counseling out there that's void of the Bible. So look for, get recommendations of a solid Christian counselor that's going to take you through what the Bible says about marriage. And it makes me think of a story of talking about our, our marriage vows. Um, I saw a story. It's weird how you remember just weird things. I saw a story on Shaquille O'Neal back, I don't know, it was probably 10 years ago talking about his marriage and getting married. It's probably his Cribs episode showing all this stuff that he's going to do. Um, but it talked about his marriage vows. And in uh, his marriage vows, he, he, he didn't put in for better or for worse. He put in for better or for better. And that, when he when I heard it even years ago, I thought, That's, something's not right there. And now, as, as I've been in the Word and, and God's pulling me on this path, it, just, it, it really breaks my heart that a pastor would even allow that to be officiated. Because the reality is, he's divorced now. Because it, When it got worse, he was out. And, and so I just want to caution us of the things that we say and think about our vows when it comes to our marriage and really, we know it. I mean, I know I'm talking to a crowd that, I mean, it's a coin flip these days when it comes to statistics about marriage. And that even breaks my heart. It's the same in the church. I mean, how can that be? Sometimes I sit back and think about, how can it be? We have Christ in us. But that's what, that's what the statistics show. The actual, the, the average length of time a couple stays married in the United States is 11 years. It's 11 years. And I hate to say it. I mean, we, as a, as a young guy... Um, really not close to the Lord, we would see our buddies get married and we'd be like, what's the over under on that? You think they're going to make it 10 years or not? I mean, that's sad. But I hope, and my hope as a church, you know, Randy talked about us doing things. I mean, this is not just it. We we have a desire to see healthy marriages. So we want to have core classes before service where we're walking through marriage together. We want to do life together and see groups where there's married couples that are, are real about, I was about to strangle my kids before I got here. We haven't talked all week long to be able to really walk through issues of marriage. Um, as we go back into the passage, I know I can, I'm getting like Randy. I'll start preaching on all kinds of stuff here. If um, we go back to the passage that's center of me, uh me, it's this statement of not I but the Lord. Um, so what's going on here? It says not I but the Lord. And so Paul is a reminder that Paul had received this letter from Corinth, and they were seeking wisdom and clarification for the church. So Paul uses this wording, not I but the Lord, to remind them that they did not need to appeal to him. That they had already received instructions on the matter of divorce from Jesus himself. So Jesus, if we look at the Gospels, we see that Jesus instructs, gives instructions on marriage in, in Matthew, two spots, chapter 5 and chapter 19. He does also in the book of Mark and the book of Luke. So I figured it would be good for us to, to to read a little bit what What Jesus is saying here. Um, So, if you would join me in Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 12, it's the second book of the New Testament. the Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh so they no longer are two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. So doesn't this line up exactly what we read, uh, going back to uh, verses 10 through 12 in 1 Corinthians, about the wife should not separate and the husband should not divorce his wife? I mean, it does. And I know, I know there's some Bible scholars in the room thinking about, wait a minute, there's, didn't Jesus give an exception clause for, for adultery? Um, and he did. He did. And it's interesting enough, that's in, it's recorded in, in the book of Matthew. And the, in the book of Matthew is the only book that really talks about Joseph and, and him wanting to or, or considering uh, putting away Mary secretly because he thought she had been unfaithful during the betrothal period. So we'll read that too. We'll read Matthew uh, chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. Or, I'm sorry, chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined, let not man separate. Sure. I need to keep going. They said to him, when did, So why did Moses commit, uh, command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. As I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, there's an exception called except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And so just a thought on why Paul didn't exclude that exception clause when he wrote to the Corinthians. Because it's not there in 1 Corinthians, right? So if we think about what's going on in 1 Corinthians, adultery was prevalent in that society. So he's already talked to them about their sexual immorality. And we've also studied in the last couple of weeks that they were, they were so confused about what God's purpose was in life, they really thought that singleness was a better state than marriage. So Paul's been telling them, no, if you're single, that's your state at that season of life. If you're married, that's your state at a season of life. So therefore, you know, my, my thinking in drawing this line is he didn't include it because if he would have included it, they would, have had, they would have jumped on that exception clause because probably the majority of the marriages in the church would have had grounds to, to actually leave their wife or their husband. So I just, I needed to pause here. Just to be clear about God's provision for divorce in these situations. So when God gives this provision, it's really for the protection from an unrepentant spouse. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. The Lord's hope would be for reconciliation, restoration, and renewal of the covenant marriage. There is a time of separation, but that time is used to seek reconciliation. It's not a time just to sit back and wait for the year to pass away so you can file legally for divorce. Paul speaks to this point when he includes that but she should should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband in 1 Corinthians, the passage we're covering. Even in the tremendous hurt and pain of unfaithfulness of a spouse, we should pray earnestly for God to provide the strength and comfort we need to honor his marriage. So Paul deals with this issue in verses 10 through 12 with this married couple. Now we'll, we'll jump to a section when he talks about a, a couple that where one of the believers have come to faith after the marriage. So I'm going to read verse 12 here. It says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If, anyone, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So, just once again, I, I know this is, it, it came up in our C groups and there was a lot of confusion about um, Paul making this statement in verse 12, I, not the Lord. So what's he going, what's what's Paul saying there? Is he is he saying that this is not the, uh, divinely inspired? And I would say no. That's not what Paul is saying. Remember he, He's, he's dealing with situations that are the gospel is radically changing lives. So, in contrast to ten through twelve, Jesus had directly spoke about those issues. Now he's saying, "Okay, this is an issue that's somewhat new." But really, as we, as we believe in the Word of God, and we see in, in different points of Scripture that Paul was given, upon, he has authority given by God, and he is under the divine inspiration to write what we consider a great majority of the New Testament. So the words given under inspiration of the Spirit is no less valid than which is proceeded from the lips of Jesus. I know that's hard to swallow this time. I mean, I want a Bible with the, the letters of Jesus in red. But what we're saying here is that if it's red or black, in this word, we trust it and it has authority. And if you struggle with that, it's a real struggle. We talk about it and see groups and, and walk beside guys. We have a book on the back table. I just point you to it. It's Kevin D. Young's book, Taking God at His Word. It's on the back. If you struggle with the authority of Scripture and divine and where it all stands, I'd ask you to pick that up. So going back to our passage real quick. So Paul is what's Paul telling? Bottom line, Paul's saying if you're married to an unbeliever, remain in the marriage if that unbeliever desires to remain in the marriage as well. Yes, the conversion of one spouse changes things, but the marriage should not be dissolved. Verse 14 it says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because his wife, because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So this too can be confusing. What is this? What is it saying holy here? And, and if you equate holy with being saved, that is confusing. And that's not what the passage is saying. It's just a continuation of the real struggle. The Corinth believers had the Corinth believers had with their their marriage to an unbeliever. They were they were concerned that their marriage and sexual union with a spouse that wasn't saved was actually defilement. And what Paul is saying is no, your marriage is genuine, and your children from these marriages are genuine. They're they're clean. Now Paul turns. He talks now. He's 15. He's going to he's going to change gears a little bit, and he, now he turns to a situation of. Of marriage between a believer and an unbeliever, in which the unbeliever no longer desires to be married, the unbeliever is ready to go. So, in verse fifteen, it says, "But the unbeliever partner, but if the unbelieving unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. It's not enslaved. It's it's strong wording here." It's showing that Christianity has not made marriage a state of slavery to the believer. And to Peace, what it's pointing out is that for the Christian to prevent an unbeliever from departing, that would actually cause so much strife and hatred within that marriage. So the direct point of 15 is that a Christian is not obligated to insist the marriage remain intact. The indirect point is many see that this is allowing the believer, to remarry. And so 15 really goes with 16. Let's keep reading. It says, For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? And I say it goes with 15, but there's much discussion. Well, maybe it goes with 14. All that's been saying is like, the, asking your question, what tone do you read verse 16 in? Is it a tone of expected hope? Or is it an uncertain result? And to be honest, I don't know the answer. And for my preparing for all this and reading all the commentators, there are people on both sides of the fence. If an unbeliever leaves, do you, do you wait and wait and wait for that unbeliever? Pray that God will move in their heart and bring, come them back, bring them back. Or is it saying that unbeliever is gone and you're free? And, and my point today was not to get in an overall biblical study of divorce and remarriage because there's a lot of issues to wade through. But I would point you to um, a website. Uh, it's called desiringgod.org, and if you, there's a statement on divorce and remarriage in the life of Bethlehem Baptist Church. It's very well written. It talks about all the issues and all the different situations and how their leadership has personal convictions here, but for the church overall, they feel like they, won't, they don't want to push people in their own personal convictions. It's a great reference if you're struggling with the issue of marriage and, and with divorce and remarriage. So as I, as I try to, to bring this down uh, home for us in the last stretch, um, the overall point would just be marriage is, marriage is difficult, but it's a blessing. To those that are looking to marry, I would ask you to take seriously, in light of going through this text, take really seriously what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 16, verse 14. and it tells, the, um, it tells the single person, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not be blinded by this culture that preaches marriages is, is the way to reach a personal lifestyle goal. Culture preaches to look at marriage as a marriage or partner who would fulfill your emotional or to fulfill your sexual or fulfill your spiritual desires. I would ask you to look for a believer that you see that God's working in and is going to put you on mission together. Last page, guys. I want to read a quote from you. It's also a book we have on the the back table. Uh, It's called The Meaning of Marriage. It's by Tim Keller. And, And thinking about entering to marriage, I think it's a great quote. It says, within the Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you, and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in this journey you are taking to his throne. And when you get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got a glimpse of it on earth, but look at you now. And I said earlier, to those who are on the pathway of considering divorce, seek biblical counseling as soon as possible. And I'd ask you also to begin individually at first and then together, reading and praying over Ephesians 5, through 33. And as you take that time to do that, focus, focus on your duties, your role in the marriage, and not your spouse's. To those who are happily married, um, I'd ask you to invest in your spouse. Invest in your marriage. Another quote from Keller's book, it says, in any relationship there's, there will be frightening spells in which your feelings of love will dry up. And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of your marriage is that it is a covenant, a commitment, a promise of future love. So what do you do? You do the acts of love despite your lack of feeling. You may not feel tender, sympathetic, or eager to please. But in your actions, you must be tender. You must be understanding. You must be forgiving, and you must be helpful. And if you do that, as time goes on, You will not not only get through the dry spells, but they will become less frequent in depth. And you will become more consistent in your feelings. This is what can happen if you decide to love. A closing statement from another book uh, we have on the back table um, on marriage. It's really good. It says, Christians must reconcile themselves to the radical idea God's call to holiness in marriage trumps their own personal pursuit of happiness. Gary's Thomas book, Sacred Marriage, puts forth this challenge. What if God didn't design marriage to be easier? What if God had had an end in mind that went beyond our happiness, our comfort, our desires? What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? And in this broken world, holy is going to be way difficult It's going to be more difficult to find holiness than it is happiness. But such is our calling in our Christian marriages. Let me pray. Father, Lord, I pray that that you would continue to to raise up godly men and godly women in godly marriages, Lord. And we know that we can't do this on our own. I, I don't want anybody to think it's just about them needing to try harder I need to do this, or I need to do that, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would all come to you first, Lord. That knowing without you in the center of it, it's just, it's just, it's just not going to work. And Lord, I pray, as I said earlier, those who have have gone down the path of divorce, that this would not drag across an old wound, Lord. That you would bring healing, you would bring understanding, you bring a hopeful future and understanding your call to marriage, your sacred call. May we not enter it lightly. May we understand what we're doing. May we be a church that's, that's our arms wide open to shepherd besides people going into marriage or struggling through marriage. Lord, I ask you to do what only you can do, Lord. Lord, you change hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.